Here's a little exercise called mindfulness of breathing or breath meditation. You can try it right now. Begin with finding a posture that you're comfortable with. You could be sitting on a chair, lying down, or cross-legged on the floor. Any posture where your spine is straight is correct. Then you can softly gaze downwards or close your eyes. Now become aware of the sensations of your own natural breathing. You can feel your breath around your nose, in your chest, or down in your belly, your lower abdomen. Feel the whole of the in-breath and the whole of the out-breath as best you can, moment to moment. Before long, you'll find your mind wandering off into other thoughts, worries or concerns. That's okay. That's actually part of mindfulness practice. As soon as you notice that your mind has wandered off, just bring your attention back to your breathing as best you can. Yeah, and singing makes you high. I like to think that uh, birds uh, get high uh, not only by flapping their wings, but also by singing. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Uh, we're going to be talking mindfulness and such with Joseph Emmett uh, a little bit later. Uh, but first, as always, Graham, I didn't think of anything to say here. Dunlop, how's it going, buddy? I've been better. Since I picked up your cold, probably. Blaming so, me for that, eh? So please excuse the coughs and the and the hoarse throat. Whatever. No, everybody at work was has been sick too. So who knows who it could have been? It seems like an epidemic almost. You can it's, see how quick it would happen. It's, yeah, it doesn't happen to me very often, and when it does, and I can feel it coming on, it's really weird. But I think uh, probably over the worst already. It's not going to last very long. Yeah, that's what they all say. I'll try to stay positive. Next thing you know. Bam, plague. No, it took us about, it, see, it's tough with the kids and the wife. I'd say it took us like probably two weeks or two and a half weeks to fully like battle through it. Two from, from like, weeks. From the time like the first kid gets it to the time it like yeah. rotates through. And then you like, it's kind of like you got part of it. So it's kind of like I had the sniffles sort of the whole time, but then it didn't really kick in for a couple of weeks. Yeah, and it, it was evolves rough through your throat and your chest. And, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So we both managed to power through, though. It didn't affect the show. No. Except for he sounded probably a little nasally. I think I still do a little bit. You sound like shit. Yeah, and the recording we did tonight's got coughs all through it, so that'll sound pretty bad. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Mm. Unless Darren takes care of it in post. Yeah, you don't do that anymore, though, I know. Not a whole that's lot of it. <laughs> hey, man. Oh, that's what I was going to say. So, yeah, we've got Joseph Emmett coming up on this episode. He's He founded the um, meditation, Mindfulness Meditation Institute in Montreal, I think it's called. And we talk about, like, all the stages of, you know, mindfulness meditation, going from, like, awareness of thoughts to meditation, you know, being a choice, and then the third stage of transformation and... All kinds of techniques on how to be mindful and aware, you know, focusing on your breath and... Dooby dooby doo. Yeah, it's a good one. 
Yeah, you guys should enjoy it. Uh... Yeah, you you were pretty fascinated through this one, actually, learning about mindfulness. Yeah, it was a fun one. He's got a good uh, charisma. Yeah, demeanor. Easy to talk to. Yeah, well, it's, I guess, what happens when you spend decades learning under Zen teachers and stuff like that, eh? Or it's just the atmosphere of Grimerica. Cultivating the garden of your heart. Jesus. <laughs> just keep your cultivating over on that side of the table, bud. Yeah. It should be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. So if you want to fast forward past Graham's bullshit, just go uh, like a half an hour ahead. Because Graham's got a... I got, Graham's got a few things to read. I was got a complex. Do you want to... You want to give Graham a complex about something? Just send in a piece of feedback, like nitpicking on something, and it'll just slowly chew away at him. Oh, come on. I'm fucking stronger than that, buddy. He'll be changing the show. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) That's not fair. I could take it. You do all right. I genuinely want feedback, good or bad. That's all. I just like to do a good job, buddy. If a job, my mom used to say, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Worth doing right. <laughs> so, do you want synchro or feedback, or uh, what do you want to? What do you want to hear about? All right, I got this. I got a little feedback and synchronicity. Usually, synchros come with a bit of feedback. So, so this is from Chris D. He says, hey, Graham, I started listening to Grimerica a couple weeks ago and haven't stopped. Great podcast, guys. As an avid podcast listener and a Saskatchewanian, I was introduced, I was intrigued to learn, number one, you guys are just a province over in Alberta. It's hard to find good podcasting in Canada, let let alone on the prairies. And number two, you get top-notch original thinkers on the show. Awesome guests all around. Huh. You know where I was when I got this email from Saskatchewan? Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah. A little bit Ooh. of a synchronous. <laughs> I thought about writing you guys to give you props after the first few episodes I listened to, but life is busy, so I kept working and listening as one does. But just last night, I witnessed a neat little synchronicity and immediately thought of your segment on the show, so I decided to share it with you while it's still fresh in my head. So last night, my wife and I left our two girls with a babysitter and went to a friend's birthday party. It was a pretty casual get-together, and near the end of the night, a group of eight of us were left sitting around and talking about movies and directors and our critiques of them. We were mostly discussing sci-fi and horror flicks, and randomly, I asked my friend Devin if he had ever seen Donald Duck in Mathmagic Land. I haven't seen it in years, but I remember watching it with my kids once and being blown away, blown away, by this 1950s animated Disney movie and all of the teachings within it. It elaborates on the golden ratio, mathematics in relation to musical notes as discovered by Pythagoras, geometry, and other stuff I find fascinating, but would never expect to learn about from a cartoon aimed at kids. Devin is a math guy, and I thought he would get a kick out of it. When I brought it up, he rolled his eyes, clapped his hands together, and told me that not 12 hours earlier that day, someone else had also told him about this obscure movie for the first time. We thought that was pretty cool, and it made my night. Keep doing what you're doing, guys. Great quality show. 
He says, uh, oh, I'm a recording slash mix engineer, so if you ever need some audio assistance, I'd be glad to help out. But from the sounds of it... (laughs) (laughs) Well, you don't even do editing anymore, Darren. (laughs) You You want to come and fucking ride shotgun for a Friday night show producing night? He says, but from the sounds of it, you guys have it under control. Cheers, boys. So I love that one. Now, isn't that the isn't that the one that you were playing? Did you play that in an intro? Because I thought I, think we did. I thought his synchronicity was going to say that they brought it up and then he heard it on the next podcast he listened to. Because I yeah, think I'm wondering if he hasn't listened to that one yet. Here, I got it queued up here. This is the one I think it's on. Will it play on my iPad? Come on, let's go to ancient Greece, to the time of Pythagoras, <laughs> the master egghead of them all. Pythagoras, <laughs> the father of mathematics and music. Mathematics and music? Ah, you'll find mathematics in the darndest places. That's pretty Watch. good. I have that queued up. I didn't even know First about we'll it. First, we'll need a string. That is pretty crazy, Stretch yeah. good and tight. Well, I don't have it queued up. That kind of... I just knew as soon as you started talking about it in the email, I just Googled Grammarica, Randall Carlson, because I remembered I used it in that episode. So maybe he hasn't even heard Randall, the Randall Carlson up yet. Yeah, hmm, that's interesting. A little bit more of a synchro considering that uh, you've already used that in our content. Yeah, and he hasn't got there yet. He's going to be like, whoa. <laughs> Imagine if we would have listened to that one the next day. Well, that's what I thought that it was going to be about. Yeah. But, hmm. So does it get the involving the show point four two if he doesn't know what involves the show? I think it does. So I'll give it a, I don't know. Six. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's a pretty good one. I just pictured his friend slapping his hands together going, I just heard about that for the first time. Because the, the skeptics used to call that, well, I don't know about if that example would fall under, but the, the love bug, uh, or the bug's bunny. No. What am I, what's the word I'm thinking of? I have no fucking What's the beetle idea. bug? The beetle bug phenomenon, right? Because you see bug. a beetle bug, and all of a sudden you see beetle bugs everywhere. But this is kind of different because it's basically hearing one thing twice in 12 hours that you've never, ever heard before. Yes. They might consider that the same phenomenon, though, I think. I'm not sure. It's a ripple stick. No, it's not. Uh, not really. No, it's more of a no. synchro than a ripple stick, for sure. Yeah, yeah not bad. Yeah. I'm curious to hear now if he's heard the Randall Carson episode or if he's come on later. We've had a ton of listeners that have come on. After I've Randall. got a ton of feedback about people who have, have recently found the show and are binge watching it on Twitter. Binge watching our binge, show on Twitter? Binge, no, I've got a couple tweets about people binge listening. Oh, cool, yeah. Uh, it's always nice when people go back and check out the back catalog. Yeah, there t- is like a ton of good content there. If you're new here... And once a week isn't good enough for you, check out the back catalog. Yeah, we're one. There's 100 interviews there, and they're all fucking pretty good. Yeah, we're on number 107 or 108 now, I think, right? Yeah, I think this is 108. I got some more feedback from Edward P. He says, uh, loving the show, Graham and Darren, or Darren and Graham, however that goes. I I was clued into your podcast Of course you'd say that. Referenced uh, via link, the Skeptico podcast, where you guys interviewed Alex T on his book. As opposed to the off-quoted acquired taste comments, I have to say I felt instantaneously at home, entertained and intellectually engaged by both of your personalities. 
and the format and the subject matter of the show. Your program has a nice open-minded direction, yet is intelligent, intellectually grounded enough not to be off the rails. We try and keep it on the rails here, barely. Some of us. <laughs> it also has an inclusive global feel to it. I love all that. RPJ, keep up the good work, hombre. You guys rock. I love this last part. He says, catch a property... I can't believe I fucked it up. Catch a probability wave and tube it for me, eh? <laughs> I'll keep tuning in and, and give a listen for sure. Cheers. Did we talk about you and your probability ways before? Surfing probability ways? I do think I remember that. I don't think I read that one yet, man. No. No, no. I mean, just on the show. Oh, I, I know. Think I he's don't referencing think so. something we talked about on the you show. You think so? Yeah. Oh, I fuck, think I, remember I don't remember. Surfing in a probability wave or some fucking crazy shit. I must have been with like uh, Emmett Goswami or something like that. Only possibilities. All right, it's time for my favorite segment, the profound UFO quote of the week. So the opposite. And the only segment. <laughs> what? I guess there's other segments. <laughs> yeah, we got other yeah. ones. The opposite conclusion could have been drawn from the Condon Report's content, namely that a phenomena with such a high ratio of unexplained cases, about 30%, should, arose, should arouse sufficient scientific curiosity to continue its study. From a scientific and engineering standpoint, it is unacceptable to simply ignore substantial numbers of unexplained observations. The only promising approach is a continuing moderate level effort with emphasis on improved data collection by objective means involving available remote sensing capabilities and certain software changes. Did you catch, did you get that kind of? Kind of. It was a report that came out the Condon, the Condon oh, report. Yeah, yeah, and, I caught all that. Yeah. yeah. Who's it by? That's by Ronald D. Story, American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics UFO Subcommittee, New York, Doubleday, 1980. The year before I was born. Really? 81? Yeah. How about another one? Give me two. Oh, fuck. Oh, no. Yeah, you got, yeah. Yeah, you got me. You got me. It is impossible for any man-made machine to make a sudden appearance in front of a jumbo jet that is flying 910 kilometers per hour and to remain in steady formation paralleling our aircraft. Honestly, we were simply breathtaking. That's from Japan Airlines pilot Kenju Turachi in 1986. That's the year my wife was born. That was a good one. Yeah, I like you on your toes. Yeah, no problem, buddy. Oh, boy, I thought I had you there for a minute. No. You're a pro. He's a pro. I got uh, I got something else I want to read to you. You do? Yeah, it'll be of interest, much interest to you. Mucho interest. Mucho interest. I want to thank uh, Not Morgan for his feedback from Reflective Air Podcast. Uh, him and I have been emailing back and forth quite a bit. It's it's interesting when you start listening to each other's podcasts. It's pretty cool, and he's he's got some some interesting takes. He's he's kind of like uh, the dope smoker like you are, and and the other guy Morgan on the show is like kind of like not smoker and dope like me. Oh. Allegedly, yeah. Hey, apparently mushrooms are the safest drug. Really? Yeah. 
Let's all eat some mushrooms. And I think cannabis is is uh, number two. No, it's quite it's quite up there. It's up there. Is it? Alcohol is the most dangerous. So, mm. anyways, they did a pretty good segment on on uh, on skunk weed and marijuana and drugs and stuff like that. So, anyways, he was uh, he made a comment about one of the things we talked about with RPJ. He says, uh, "I'll try to keep it brief." RPJ was asking on a recent show about people with heavy cannabis use and dreams. Those are two of my favorite things," he says. <laughs> I don't know if he means RPJ and cannabis use or dreams and cannabis use. <laughs> oh boy, maybe he means dreams and RPJ. <laughs> 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 Mexican wet dreams oh, too far okay so he says will you please pass on to him that everything he said is completely correct it is almost impossible to recall any of your dreams at all when you're a heavy user although the dreams are definitely still happening you sometimes but very rarely remember very brief snippets similarly when a person stops smoking abruptly especially cold turkey, their dreams become very vivid and very often unpleasant for a week or so after. Proper intense nightmare stuff. Again, I know many people who genuinely fear this when they're either trying to or having to stop smoking for some reason. I have not much of an idea why this is. I have some thoughts on cannabis, its interaction with the unconscious, and we know that neural connectivity is different, more unconventional on cannabis, and it also affects short-term memory. The nightmares, though, I have no idea whatsoever about those. I'd love to know why it's like that. When going cold turkey myself, I always took some time and programmed myself before going to sleep to hopefully avoid these nightmares as much as possible. And I seem to remember that working. No recent experiences to draw on, though, as it's been a long time since I've gone cold turkey. Just thought I'd pass this along. I'd definitely be interested in if anyone knows more about this, as I haven't heard it discussed anywhere else. And if there's a chance you could find out from RPJ where I could find this reference he'd encountered, it'd be very grateful. That was probably because he wanted to talk about it on the latest episode that I listened to, and I didn't get back to him in time about the reference. Sorry, buddy. Did you get back to him at all? <laughs> yeah. Oh. I told you we were having an email exchange back and forth. Yeah, but I don't know where it stopped and when it started. And... His last email was so long, I copied it into my voice dream act and listened to it with the, Bridget, with the British accent of Bridget. Oh, there you go. You so I listened to his people from all over the world. Yeah, I listened to like, his email on my voice stream app with a chick's like accent. A Southern U.S. <laughs> you can get a Spanish accent for people from Spain. You could have maybe an Australian guy. I like it. Maybe we could play the feedback with stereotypical accents. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, that's a good with idea. Your, oh, from fuck. your voice stream. That's a great idea. I don't know how great of an idea it is, really. Yeah? Can you talk about something right now? Like what? <laughs> Just keep talking? <laughs> so we ordered a new mixer. That's exciting. Take it easy over there. <laughs> Finally upgrading, upgrading our... I think that's the first piece of equipment we ever bought, eh? The mixer? That was a, a piece of equipment we needed to actually both be in the same room. Oh, yeah. You mean like our first actual... Well, besides the microphones, right? No, I think we were in... Oh, yeah, well, the microphones we got at the same time as the mixer, I think. Because up until then, we were using headsets from home. Oh, and one more thought I meant to include on the cannabis dreams thing. You know there's supposed to be this thing of if you don't dream, you'll go mad. Are you aware of that? I have no idea whether it's actually true or not, 
but there might be something to it, similar to sleep deprivation, I guess. I'm just wondering if there's any connection to that and not remembering your dreams because of cannabis, you know, this thing about cannabis causing psychosis. If not dreaming makes you mad, could the lack of, recalling, dreams be contributing to that psychosis in any way? Just putting that out there. I do think that to have any understanding of what dreams actually are, you kind of have to understand what reality is first, if you know what I mean and, are you believe mad? me, I think it'll be a very long time before we work that out. Anyway, I'm sorry. you have any else in there? Anybody else's emails? No. <laughs> that was the only English. one. That was the only one. Oh, yeah. So. I hope he likes his little <laughs> email read in my app. Yeah, by a woman. <laughs> Um, proper English, eh? What do you think of that, though? Of what? Did you catch any of it, or were you just too enthralled by the technology of the whole thing? Oh, that you were playing that? Yeah. I was caught up on the mod. Oh, that geez. makes it sound authentically British. Mod. Are you mod? So, I don't know. Because uh, have you heard about the thing about cannabis causing psychosis? Because I do have thoughts on that. No, I haven't heard a lot about it. Huh. Are you saying if dreaming, if not dreaming makes you mad, could the lack of recalling dreams be contributing to that psychosis? I think Dennis McKenna had a remedy for that, though. Some sort of tea that'll offset it. That's probably RPJ's reference before it was Dennis McKenna. Could have been. I think it was. We talked about it. I think it was Dennis McKenna. I think it was like episode five with Dennis McKenna. Because I brought it up and he said that no, because he was able to smoke and recall his dreams, but he used some tea that helped him with it. Huh. See, I think if, because uh, grass is illegal and the stigma that doing drugs grass. puts on people, I think, I think that has something to do the with the psychosis. 1970s call that they want their fucking slang back. <laughs> <laughs> don't you, don't you think that psycho, like, that that type of uh, the societal pressure we put on people and the stigma that we have around drug use uh, doesn't Constantly help at all. Like a criminal, yeah, that could be a cause of some of the psychosis. Probably. Mm. I'd like to see the article too. I mean, who knows? Could be slanted anyway. I would say modern society causes quite a bit of psychosis just in itself. Fucking traffic. Traffic called a little caused a little psychosis in me today. <laughs> yeah, when you're in a rush to be someplace, when you have to pay a good chunk of money to get your stolen car back after you help the cops find the criminals. Yeah, <laughs> you were on the front lines of that. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. That doesn't really bother me so much. It's not coming out of my pocket, but it does seem like. Bullshit. Yeah, it's got to bother you at a more of a more moral, philosophical, and yeah, it seems moral pretty crazy. Level. Yeah, you want to talk about that or no? I don't think no. we need to get into that. I don't think we need to get into calling up beefs with the city of Calgary. <laughs> I got to live here still. Yeah, true that. True that. You out of stuff. Well, I, I got lots, but, uh, you know, what did you want to talk about? We should talk about the money bar. And, oof, uh, 
No more money bomb. No more money bomb. We should talk about don't, uh, helping the show out, right? Is that what you're going to get at? Yeah, next episode, maybe I'll compile a list and thank our... Oh, that's what we're supposed we to do, we got a yeah. bunch of people to thank, new yeah. subscribers. A lot of people have been uh, chipping in where they can. It seems like a lot of people have been telling other people about the show. Uh, that's good news, but yeah, as always, uh, support the show when you can, if you can, as much uh, as you can afford. There's a ton of different options there for subscription. Uh, one-time donations are always welcome. Uh, that's about it. We don't do commercials. We don't do ads. We don't do portals. We don't do nothing. We're yeah, just we're trying the value for value model here. For so. the people, by the people. Yeah. Um, and we have uh, incurred some expenses. Like we say, we just had to upgrade our mixer. I uh, was holding us back on a couple of things we need to do, and there's uh, a couple other pieces of gear we're looking to upgrade in the near future. So. Yeah, there's a bunch of fixed monthly expenses too, of course, that we have to keep up with. And... Yeah, yeah. And we're outgrowing some equipment. Yeah, and if you can't afford uh, anything financially, you could always just send a review on iTunes or you could leave us a voicemail on the the website. You could sign up for the newsletter. Tell some people. Sign Tell up some, some other people sure. about the newsletter. Yeah, just put put your friend's email in the sign up for the newsletter thing and just sign them up to the newsletter. Yeah, mention the show in comment forums or any place you're hanging out online. Just Spread the word about America. Yeah, we don't really have a marketing plan or anything like that. It's really all just you guys who are listening and who enjoy the content to to talk about it. Yeah, and uh, and support us when you can, and uh, that helps out a lot. Like I say, next episode we'll thank the people, and uh, we're trying to think of. Uh, we were actually discussing the other day some sort of way of um, honoring the people who have supported the show. Um, especially people like, you know, Wayne Darnell, who's put in a ton of work on the website, the new website, which is, uh, well, by the time this comes up, oh, it'll be up and live. So check out the new site. Wayne put a ton of work into that. Uh, so his name is at the top of whatever list we decide to do. But, uh, yeah, we were bouncing around different ideas for how we could maybe honor our, our, our bigger supporters and, uh, kind of, I don't know, immortalize them in America somehow. So if you have any ideas on that, let us know. Yep. 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 Anything else? No, I think that's about it, man. Unless you want to hear some more feedback, but I think we're pretty good for uh, today. I'll save some for the next uh, intro, which will be soon because we're putting out a bonus episode. So do you want to mention who... that's soon. The bonus episode will be till next week. Yeah. After Joseph. Yeah. But put it this way, we have enough content to release an extra episode again. So Yeah, so you'll get another extra episode in March. Probably not next week. You'll probably right after the next episode another one will pop out a couple days later. Exactly. Just cause we do we do what we do. Alright guys, well I guess we'll pop in <laughs> pop into our chat with Joseph Emmett. Anything else? No, that's about it. Yeah, thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah, enjoy the chat with Joseph, and we'll pick you up uh, in the outro. Take care of a little housekeeping there.
Okay, guys, in America tonight, we're going to be chatting with Joseph Emmett, uh, talking about some mindfulness and all that fun stuff. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. This is one of those ones I'm pretty excited about. Uh, this yeah. is Graham's uh, bread and butter. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but the group. I, I'm, yeah, a little bit more than you, but that's why we like to do this, because then you can learn how to meditate too, Darren. <laughs> I said, I said, we were talking about mindfulness, so he's like, what's that? <laughs> Anyways, we've got... Well, the uh, thing is, I thought I knew what it was until I got home from work today and I was talking about it with my wife. And she's like, I was like, oh yeah, we're talking about mindfulness. And then she went off about all this stuff mindfulness was. And I was like, whoa. It just confused you? I thought it was. <laughs> well, we'll get the real scoop from, from Joseph here, who's been training uh, meditating. I think he's been uh, teaching it for like 20 years and he's written a few books few books on it. I wanted to mention some of those names like sleep better with mindfulness meditation, uh, Buddha's book of stress reduction, a basket of plums, which is about uh, where he trained in, in France. I think it was, we'll ask him about that. And his latest book, which I have in my hands here, uh, which is pretty cool. It's full of good meditations. It's called Buddha's book of meditation. Now, Joseph also uh, has a doctorate of music from Boston university, and he's the founder of the Mindfulness Center, I think it's called Mindfulness Meditation Center in Montreal, and he's had that since 1997. So lots to talk about here. We're looking forward to getting deeper into this this topic of mindfulness. So welcome to the Gramerica Show, Joseph. Hello, hello. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for thanks for staying up late for us and coming on to talk about this. We've wanted to get get deeper into it, and uh, and your book is 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 great because it's got all kinds of examples and you've got music uh, to go with it and uh, little mantras and stuff like that. And I guess to start off here, I want to kind of uh, jump right into to mindfulness as a, as a tool and, and the power. And then we can kind of go backwards into your history a little bit and get into that. But I want to start with like kind of what Darren was mentioning, how, you know, what, what do you, what is mindfulness and how is it beneficial? Oh, it's beneficial in a number of ways, but mindfulness has been sort of defined as paying attention intentionally. You know, sometimes like we have automatic thoughts, like thoughts come to us unsolicited, and they're not always happy thoughts, that they could be angry thoughts, (laughs) irritated thoughts, you know, disappointment thoughts. And with mindfulness, we aware of these thoughts, and we can even change our state of mind, which is so important because we all want to have, like, we enjoy people who have a sunny disposition and who who are positive, and we could be that person with mindfulness practice. That's, that's my number one, one, one thing about mindfulness. Yeah, I've I've sort of been touting, uh, like, to be honest with you, it's been the most powerful meditation style for me. And and I used to say to people, I'd go to, like, group meditations and, you know, meetings and stuff like that. I was even in, like, 12-step programs and this and that, and we, mindfulness or meditation would come up. And for me, it was, like, practice of being in the moment. And then when I started reading your book, it sounds like that's kind of how you're describing it as well. That's kind of what I thought it was, is just being in the present. Yes, uh, being in the present, as opposed to be, as opposed to being in your thoughts, in your thoughts, being in the like I thoughts could be about the past. Memories are thoughts, kind of thoughts. It could be about the future, anticipation. Even anxiety is a kind of 
made of thoughts, thoughts about the future. So being in the present, like right now, it's beautiful and white in Montreal. The snow is beautiful. And it is often always beautiful around us if we take the trouble to look around the sky, the people we are with, our environment, really, really beautiful. And being in the moment, we're able to enjoy all this. Huh, that's interesting. So there's a direct core because I appreciate the the littler things in life now for sure. Over the past few years, like looking, you know, outside and when I'm lying in bed, sleeping in, and the sun shining in, or there's like little things, the birds, whatever it is. And I guess there, what you're saying is there's a direct correlation with the ability to stay in the moment because you're noticing these things, and that is because, uh, well, in in some ways, mindfulness helps you do that. Yes, that's the mindfulness mantra. Be here now and come back. Come back to your body because the body is my home. Because the body is here now. Uh, my mind could be somewhere else. So yeah. when my mind is with my body, with my breath, then my mind is also here. They are together, which is the basic idea. Yeah. So, uh, what what in your in your past uh, hmm, decades of research here and and was teaching all these people to watch their thoughts and and you mentioned it at the beginning here how thoughts come unsolicited. What what where does where do these thoughts come from? Like, is it just a mix of? I mean, we could speculate. We talk about all kinds of crazy stuff in in America. Like, I, you know, you could be connected to some sort of uh, collective unconsciousness or consciousness and then also i guess it comes from your epigenetic past that type of thing well i think thoughts are basically generated by state your state of mind if you're in an angry state of mind you'd keep having thoughts like how could she do that to me or she's so mean and if you're in a you know positive say, uh, full of gratefulness, you'd say, oh, I really appreciate what she did to me. She's such a nice person. I'm really glad she's around. You know, I think I think there's a different real correlation between your state of mind and your thoughts. Yeah, no, I know. I tend to agree with that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so how do you change your state of mind then? Well, indirectly. You can't change it directly, but you can change it indirectly by filling your heart with positive emotions, with positive thoughts. Like, uh, for example, this show, I could think of it with uh, anticipation, with with hope uh, that it'll be a wonderful show. I could think of it as uh, a joyful occasion, or I could think of it, oh, what a drag, <laughs> you know? Uh, what kind of thing is that going to be? Maybe it'll be terrible. You know, You know, like having positive thoughts about it makes it a pleasure. It makes it, makes it something to look forward to. And I do that by thinking positive thoughts about it. And that really puts me in a good, good mood. Yeah, but you, you make that choice, right? Like you, yeah. you you have the awareness to make the choice, right? For sure, for sure. But the, now that is 
a, a, a state of the second stage of meditation. The first stage is being aware of your thoughts in the first place, <laughs> yeah. which which is not always the case. Like how many times people say to somebody, "Why are you so angry?" and he'll say, "I'm not angry." <laughs> But everybody in the room can see that he's angry, right? Yeah. Everybody, everybody knows it except him. So, uh, yeah. Once you're aware of your thoughts, then it's possible to make a change. Because hmm. so what the first step be? Well, is I, is the awareness right? Watching, watching. As soon as you're like, when you find yourself in a bad yeah. mood, just go to your happy place. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the first step in meditation is uh, like when I have these eight-week sessions, for several weeks, we practice watching the breath, watching our thoughts, uh, uh, sort of disengaging from the thoughts so that I am not my thoughts. Like, my mind is not entirely thoughts. It's like the sky, the cloud is not the sky. My mind is like the sky, and thoughts are like the clouds. Uh -huh. So the first step is not to identify with the thought, not, not to be the thinker, but to be the one who observes the thoughts. It's a big step. It doesn't come easily. Like in an eight-week session, we spend maybe four weeks just doing that, just sitting and watching our sensations, the breathing, thoughts, state of mind, and so on. And then we have sort of the tools. We're able to make a transformation, that change. But hmm. that first first step is really essential. Hmm. Are you there, Grab? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I, I totally agree with him, right? It's like something clicks. When all of a sudden you start to be aware of your thoughts and you can really see like when you can come back to the moment, like you feel yourself slipping in and out of the moment and you can catch yourself a little bit sooner. Like for me, I was meditating in a group last night and I could, I couldn't focus on my breath for more than like five or 10 seconds. And I was thinking about something it was, but the time that it takes me to catch that and come back is way less than it used to be. Like it used to be, I could go off for like five minutes and you know, in dreamland and la la land. Come back. And, but now I, I catch myself a lot quicker. That that is uh, you described it perfectly. And that then you is just get to poof or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's that, that's a stage everybody goes through, and sometimes the first time that's the first time they've noticed how, how, what a busy place the mind is, you know. And I have to tell you that there are people who think that it's meditation that causes this, and there are people who come and never don't come again. Uh, but, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> but 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 it's the first time they become aware of it because they have never, you know, sat quietly and observed the mind. So uh, meditation just makes you aware of it. It doesn't cause it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a challenge for for like I I got my my uh, friend to do some mindfulness meditation the other the other night and, and she was really surprised at how relaxed she got. But I, I didn't clarify the difference between different meditations. Like there's a big difference between just doing a guided meditation and you're kind of using your visualization and following 
somebody's voice down, you know, some garden path to some magical crystal city or whatever, compared to just sitting there quietly and watching your thoughts. But it got her really relaxed. And it reminds me of what Eckhart Tolle used to say about, or what he said in his, in the last couple of books about worry, right? How so many people worry about things. And really you can, you can think about that thing that's worrying you, but you don't have to worry about it. Right. You can accept to like <laughs> worrying is really just putting yourself in the future. It's not, so you can't really become present and worry at the exact same time. So how do you, how do people get out of that negative frame of mind when they're, when they're um, maybe they're just learning how to meditate and they still kind of get stuck in that negative feedback loop? Yeah. Well, you know that, uh, the according to psychologists, about forty percent of our our disposition is inherited. Like some of us are have sunny dispositions, and you know that with babies, like some of them cry forever, and some of them smile a lot and don't cry so much. And uh, so, some people are sort of winners at this genetic lottery, and the others. The, this is the question: Are they stuck? for life with their less sunny disposition, you know? Yeah. yeah. And uh, the answer is not if they, if they practice mindfulness meditation, that, that gives you a handle on, uh, on being able to change your, your default state of, of mind, default plot, default, default, whatever emotion. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is that kind of what you're, um, when you talk about brainfulness in your book, is that just your, <laughs> that's your thinking, right? Oh, uh, that, uh, the thing that, that you know, now you're getting into a very, very interesting subject, very close to my heart. What I mean by brainfulness is that the brain has its own interests and biases. Like it's an organ, like your stomach has its own biases, you know, interests. It, it, it's basically eat, 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 right? Yeah, uh, and survival based. I'm guessing that's my guess. Survival base, yes, and uh, more than that. I mean, you look at our hockey games. You know, it looks like tribal warfare sometimes. You know, and uh, th th there's uh, the, the brain, like traditionally, especially with guys. You know, win, win, like win the contests. You know aggression dominate be the alpha male get the girl i mean we millions of years of evolution and caveman stuff uh, and and uh, the brain still pushes us toward these things uh, so being mindful is kind of being aware of these tendencies and i give the example in the in the book for example when i go to the gym my brain tells me, park close to the door so you don't have to walk so much. <laughs> now, that's funny because I go to the gym to exercise in the first place, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, so listening to your brain messages with a grain of salt is not possible without mindfulness. Like, without mindfulness, people hear their brain tell them something and they say, Amen. This is it. This is absolute truth. I mean, look at all those guys, you know, all kinds of violence. The guy who went to Parliament Hill and started shooting uh, 
I mean, his brain told him to do that, right? And he didn't question it. He said, okay, I'll do it, you know? Yeah. Mm. So, so this is also part of what I mean by brainfulness as opposed to mindfulness. Not listening to everything your brain tells you. Which I suppose everyone, or most everyone, I suppose, can do to some extent, right? Like everyone gets those fleeting thoughts that they just disperse. Right, right. Like your boss or this or that, and it's just taking it to the next level, I guess, of doing that over everything. Yeah. Well, you know, this is a big issue in psychology and psychotherapy. Like if you're a depressed person, what your brain is telling you is making you miserable. Like you're no good. The sky is going to fall apart, fall on you tomorrow. Your girlfriend's going to leave you. You're going to leave your job. You're no good, whatever. And that's what what it is, depression, how it makes you miserable. And so psychologists, psychotherapists are doing exactly this, that they are training you not to identify with the voice of your brain. but. But this is also important uh, in lifestyle, in uh, like, like you can go to a psychologist if you're depressed, but psychologists don't treat the caveman syndrome, you know, because it's not in the diagnostic manual, right? But the caveman syndrome, I mean, look at all the bullying, look at all the uh, spouse abuse, look at all the... Uh, uh, I mean, aggression in, in, I mean, so much, there was a $2 billion settlement that the American Football League, people butting into each other. I mean, uh, you know, this is, this is real primitive instinct, you know, and, uh, and uh, mindfulness makes you aware of these primitive urges and you don't have to, you don't have to do it if you're aware of it. You can talk back to your brain, you know? Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I can actually, uh, that's, I, I'm pretty good at doing that sometimes. I mean, I have a pretty high-stress job, which could fucking run away from me a lot of days. I mean, yeah. you know what I'm dealing with out there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm pretty good at letting it go. Reeling it all in. Yeah. And I mean, I've always, when I'm pissed off, I mean, look out. Yeah. When I, but I can usually shake it off you know within like how at best you know maybe 10 or 20 minutes and sometimes if it's something bad maybe never more than a day though like i never dwell on anything longer than a day and usually minor things i can especially if it's sunny out if it's sunny out it's way easier to forget (laughs) your problem (laughs) yeah you bet (laughs) for sure well it's it's true dwelling on these things like uh, I hate to use him as an example, but my dad was an angry guy. I mean, he was angry at the cat, the dog, his kids, his wife, his friends, uh, drivers on the road. And he stewed in that anger. He never questioned it. And, uh, and uh, that was him, you know? Anger was him. And, uh, yeah, I think everybody has a measure of mindfulness. With some of them, like you described the perfect example of, you know, letting go uh, after a while or whatever. I think 
many people have a measure of mindfulness, except that in mindfulness meditation, we train to to make that that measure a bigger measure, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then that would lead into some of the other Buddhist principles uh, that you've probably taught about, like compassion and detachment and and, you know, like the equanimity and not judging people. Can you talk a bit about how those other principles are related? For sure, for sure. You're hitting on my favorite subjects there. <laughs> now, now this, just a minute ago, we were talking about letting go. Uh, but uh, the positive emotions, you know, the Buddha has been sitting. What has he been doing? like he's been sitting in his books and his images on the internet, what he's actually doing is cultivating the garden of his heart. He's been cultivating positive emotions. So he is filled. That's his default mental state, love, compassion, peace. You know, when John Lennon talked about love and peace, you know, those are not the only positive emotions. Those were shorthand for love, peace, compassion, gratitude, inspiration, joy, um, serenity. Uh, there's a few more. Um, uh, confidence, uh, a measure of pride. Uh, Barbara Ferguson, the psychologist, has 10 positive emotions. I, I have a couple more to add. Uh, contentment is one she doesn't use. Yeah, I like that. That's a big one, I think. <laughs> what about elation? Uh, yes, she uses the word awe, like an awesome. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, so would that be the same as, like, I think, uh, I'm thinking of the documentary, I can't remember what it's called, but where he talks about where he plays, like, the video of, he plays you a video of someone, like, crashing their bike or something and everyone gets that feeling and then he explains to you what that feeling is and then he shows you the I think it's like the little kid sees his daddy surprises him coming home from war early or from mm. from the military or whatever and he's like mm. that feeling you get in your chest that's what that was his way of proving that humans are not bred to oh not bred to each other doggy right, dog right yeah mm. well you know, the thing is, every thought has a color. Every thought has a color. Like, think of a person right now, and let an image of a person come to your mind. That image is accompanied by an emotion. And we are aware of the picture, like, okay, this is Dan, right? This is his picture in front of me. But often, there is a feeling that comes together with the picture. It could be a feeling of, like, you really like that guy, okay? Or it could be a negative feeling, like, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, like he's angry or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, there was an American expat in my, in, in my group once, and she said, okay, tell me how to love George Bush. <laughs> and, and she floored me every time I... I, I didn't know what to say, but the, <laughs> but the thing is, I just may mention that to give an example that there is a color, uh, an emotional color, emotional tone that accompanies 
every image, friend, foe, uh, whatever. And the, the idea is to become aware of, of the color that, that that person comes in. And once you know that, you can paint that person a different color, you know? Uh, paint him with loving colors. Uh, paint him, or, or, or if you can't manage loving colors, except at least in different colors, you know, instead of negative colors, just paint him in different colors, neutral colors. Uh, at least it won't bother you anymore, you know. Uh, so is it like dark, bad, bright, good? Oh, yeah, if you like. Uh, you know, uh, there is something very interesting in what you say. According to psychologists who study positive psychology, the images of people we like and we love appear brighter in our minds. Uh, and the images of people we don't like or we're neutral to appear like less luminous more faded, not interesting. Uh, so there is something to what you say, for sure. Yeah, I wonder if the color red for, like, is it my personal, is the color red my personal uh, vibration or my personal feeling? And is Darren's color red different? Or would it, would do you think there's some correlation between the color red? Uh, by itself, what I mean by color is emotional color, really. Like a vibration kind of, or? Like if, if Darren uh, is fond of you, he'll think of you in with glowing colors. Okay. okay? Yeah. Uh, and looking good, bud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the idea is that you can practice. Call up images of everybody. I don't know, the bank clerk, the bus driver, people you know, and surround them with glowing colors, surrounding them with the color, emotional colors of appreciation. Uh, I mean, everybody has something good about them, you know. Find that and, and let that thought change the color that you see that person in. That's, 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 that's a practice. And that leads into that, the non, non-judgmental part of Buddhism, right? Where you're really mm. not, not taking things personally and not uh, judging people for the negative things. Yeah, yeah. Now, taking things personally, that's a whole, a whole field. <laughs> so, but not judging is, is, uh, is right on, for sure. People... As well as, uh, that's also, you know, a big issue in pain management. Like, you have pain. We even judge the pain. We, we say, this is awful. It shouldn't be like this. Will it ever go away? Is it cancer? Uh, and the judgment we have about the pain is often worse than the pain. It makes us suffer more than the pain itself. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's a big issue for sure. Can you expand on the pain part? Uh, That's pretty close to my heart. So how can people detach from the pain? Uh, Well, uh, there are several ways. Uh, Right now, 
I'm, I have a course for um, cancer patients at a big hospital here, and this is a big issue, of course. Uh, the issue is one, uh, one Buddhist uh, practitioner put it this way. He said, uh, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Yeah. What she meant was that I mean, separation is painful, uh, physical pain is painful, chemotherapy is painful, but sometimes we make stories about it uh, that are even worse than the actual physical pain. Like, uh, you know what I mean, I gave a few examples. Why me? What did I do to deserve this? I don't deserve this. This is so terrible, and so on and so forth. And that is what suffering is made of. Uh, Being a victim? Oh, victim stories. Right on. Right, right. Like, animals don't seem to do that. Uh, You know, pain is pain. Death is death. Everything is so simple, you know. (laughs) We have... uh, uh, really uh, complicated minds for sure. <laughs> so um, I, I wanted to talk about that a little bit more, but um, what do you think there? I wonder if animals are that. If I wonder if, if it's just different for them. You know what I mean? I almost feel like they would be, I wonder they if would heal like, better from injuries and or, stuff. Because or I wonder if it's more based on, like if I wonder if intelligence would be a marker of consciousness level. I mean, that seems to be our best guess. So then, like dolphins and and must be feeling some similar emotions and things like that. Hmm. But and then monkeys. they don't always seem so fucking good at controlling them either. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you see, animals don't know what death is. They they have no conception of death, so they're not afraid of it. Uh, it just happens to them, and that's the end of end of the story, whatever. But we anticipate. You see, fear of death is probably worse than death. Uh, I mean, uh, according to psychologists, sixty eight percent of us have really huge fear of death, and we suffer because of that. And I have been at the bedside of a family member. Uh, she was absolutely terrified of, 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 of death. And animals don't have that because they do not anticipate. Uh, it just happens to them. When it happens, when it's time, they go. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think about about uh, the whole new age thing about vibrations? Like, it, you know, we talk about colors, like seeing... Uh, you know, different shades or, or brightnesses of colors when you look at people and all that. Is there a vibration that's correlated to that too? You know, they talk about raise your vibration. You hear it so much in the new age healing background. And, and just lately, I've actually kind of almost uh, had a, a little mini, mini epiphany about how that might work. Like I kind of visualized it in my head. Like truly, if your vibrations were raised uh, and things were like finer tuned, it, it wouldn't allow things to to enter and penetrate the same way as if you had like a lower kind of negative vibration. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Personally, I think I tend to think that it is a metaphorical way of speaking. Okay. 
like uh, psychologists talk about mood contagion. You know, if your mood is elated, uh, you're contagious. I mean, you make everybody happy. You know, there are people like that. They walk into a room, it's like a ray of sunshine, you know? And if your mood is really down and you know people like that, you know, they go around like a black cloud, you know? So uh, your mood is contagious. Uh, and um, I think uh, vibration refers to that in, in some ways, in a metaphorical way, to, for me. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, that's that's. Yeah, my wife talks about that. How she can tell the vibrations of a room. On, I mean, sometimes you can. You walk into a place and you know, somebody's yeah. pissed right off. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. That's. Uh, I don't know. That's interesting. We probably shouldn't go down that path too far. But um, if you if you step back and and look at our society right now, uh, you've been in this for a while, and. And it seems like to me, we're polarized. We have people interested in meditation more so than ever, kind of like yoga was like 20 years ago. And then we also have this whole, like you were mentioning before, the kind of like this masculine competitive environment where people are just living in their heads the whole time. And then we have the whole pharmaceutical industry that's actually uh, in, in some ways going against mindfulness and completely kind of numbing out our our minds of, you know, even the youth and all that. Do you ever think about that at the higher level and have any thoughts? Yeah, you're hitting a very sad subject there, as you know, uh, because uh, there seems to be a conspiracy against mindfulness, you know, yeah. uh, almost uh, in the in the media and all that. Recently, I came across a statistic, which is unbelievable, that uh, the media give us 17% more negative news than positive news. I, I knew that there was a negative bias, but 17 times, not percent, I made a mistake, 17 times. 17 more, or 70? 17, 17. Okay, 17 One times seven. though. Yeah, not a percent. So, yeah. okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. I mean, uh, over here, whenever I turn on the radio, it's news about the uh, some Islamic state uh, massacring somebody or whatever. It's 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 really a litany, you know. Yeah, uh, it's I it's mean, brainwashing, really. And and trying to keep a sunny disposition, uh, listening to the evening news. Is a real challenge, I think. Uh, even the Buddha might have had a tough time doing it. Yeah, you know, uh, listen to the evening news and keep a sunny disposition. So, what do you do in your own uh, personal life in that regard? Because I, I don't really watch the news myself, just because of that. It, it's actually, and the longer you go without watching it, the crazier it seems when you do watch it. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's been saying the same things over and over again, and you turn it on and it goes right on. You know, very true, very true. Well, uh, yeah, avoid watching it. Uh, this is a big issue for Buddhists because uh, everything uh, nourishes your spirit uh, in one way or another. It could nourish negative feelings in you. Like, uh, or it could nourish positive feelings. I mean, we know, we all know songs, for example, that do that. You know, that old song, uh, What a Wonderful World. You yeah. know that? 
yeah. Louis Armstrong song. Yeah. Oh man, you can listen to it every every day, once a day, in the morning, and uh, it'll make your day. You know, uh, and there are other songs, particularly rap songs, that are uh, quite the opposite. I mean, and everything. Everything is the same way. There are movies that at the end of the movie, you come out there feeling like 10 feet tall, you know? And there are movies that, yeah. <laughs> so the idea is to choose what you feed yourself uh, carefully. Just, yeah. like, just like you choose what you eat. Uh, you know, choose what you see, what you hear, what you read, and so on. So what do you do? You do? What do you do personally to keep on top of current events? I mean, if if you even feel like you have to, because sometimes I struggle with, uh, if I don't watch the news, <laughs> like I'll listen to, you know, a new media podcast and stuff like that to get more of a balanced sort of view of things. But I still feel like sometimes I'm missing out on the current events, but really when I look at it, it's just, it's kind of just distraction anyways. But what, what do you do to, to get your dose of what's going on out there? Well, I, I enjoy, I have a couple of newspaper sites that New York Times is one of them. Uh, and uh, there I choose what I click on, you know, uh, like they don't choose what to feed me. I right, choose right. what I want to eat, you know. Uh, it's like cafeteria is the uh, where, where you choose the plate you want to take, you know. Uh, so th that's how I get my daily dose of uh, uh and and then there are positive news too, so I can click on them instead of you know the negative news all the time. Yeah, yeah. And the only way to do that is to go online, really, and go to the internet and do that because you you definitely can't pick your positive news stories out of the TV. That's for sure. <laughs> no, no. And now I'm beginning to understand why this show, uh, why you interviewed me at ten o'clock, because it's like a uh, like the mood of the show is like. Like the kind of chats you have at this hour, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, well, there's there's more reasons than that, but it's uh, it's 8 o'clock. You know, we start at 8 o'clock here, which gives us enough time to put Darren's kids to bed and Get stuff like that. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. But it is, yeah, we like it casual here because it's kind of more real in a way. We don't, we don't really censor anything and we can talk about things pretty openly. That's great. That's great. Well, you know, it's sit in an office. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, of course, you knew it was ten o'clock here, right? I did. I know. Drums are a night owl. I'm not. I'm not a night owl. Or is it a night hawk? No. <laughs> so, a, yeah. so uh, have you seen changes in the last twenty years? Then, through like obviously, like I mentioned, uh, meditation seems to be like yoga was uh, last year. Have you been pretty happy with the, uh, you know, how it's catching on with people? Yeah, I I see people privately for meditation coaching, and uh, I see them in eight week uh, courses, and I really see the difference, and they tell me the difference, and it's really wonderful to hear and wonderful to follow. Yeah, that's good. Is enrollment up? Are you uh, noticing more of a demand? Uh, yeah, well, uh, there. Uh, has been a demand uh, uh, so since I started there always has been a demand I mean uh, jo John Kabat-Zinn and Thich Nhat Hanh were pioneers their books, their first books that really caught on Miracle of Mindfulness for uh, Thich Nhat Hanh and uh, 
Full Catastrophe Living with John Kabat-Zinn. Those books were published in the 70s, and uh, they really caught on. And uh, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's book, Miracle of Mindfulness, has been selling about 35,000 copies a month since then. Wow. And uh, and so has John Kabat-Zinn's books have been selling. I mean, it's not that new a phenomenon, although you're you're quite right in that it's sort of uh, getting seems to be getting bigger and bigger and more more people are aware of it, you know. Yeah, and I, I mean, not even mindfulness specifically, but meditation in general. Like the float, the float tank. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard about. Uh, we it's have, John. we have, we have a new uh, a new float tank set up here in Calgary. We're going to have the guys on, but they're kind of like sensory deprivation tanks where you get in this, uh, you know, body body temperature, salt water, and that's becoming very popular. So people are definitely interested in exploring the their consciousness a little deeper. Yeah. Uh, I haven't heard about it recently in this area, but uh, John Lilly, uh, the guy who wrote so much about dolphins, uh, experimented with that. And I think he was one of the first people who put that on the map. The, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just heard, I just heard about John Lilly today on the way here, actually, that people are talking about that. He's yeah. John Lilly. Well, he's the guy that started experimenting in flow tanks quite a bit and writing about his experiences in there. He'd go in there for like three hours at a time or something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, I've only been in once, one time. Yeah. So, uh, what else do we want to talk about? How about uh, Titnot? Oh, how do you pronounce your guy's name again? Tick, 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 tick not Han. Yes, yes, yes. He's a he's a person with a wonderful smile, a very engaging look on his eyes, and. Uh, you really, when you see him, it's very difficult not to like him. Your heart goes out to him. And his smile is very, very precious. Like I've been to Plum Village where he lives maybe 10 times, uh, about a month at a time. And I sort of imagine him in my mind's eye. And when I see him, his smile is always more generous and warmer than what, 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 what remained in my imagination. He's, he's really a very, very engaging person. And that was in, in, in France, you said, right? You, you trained under him in France? Yes, uh, mostly in uh, Plum, well, where he lives, he calls it Plum Village. Uh, because uh, when he first, you know, the boat people, uh, refugees, and he wanted to create a place where these people could come and uh, live on the land. Uh, uh, so he planted uh, plum trees in that part of France. It's a big industry, plum jam. Have you ever eaten plum jam? No, I don't think I have, actually. Oh. Have you, Darren? Do you like plum jam? I'll have to try it. Oh. I probably you... have had plum jam. I remember my grandma used to have all sorts of different oh. jams and jellies and marmalades. and. You know, I had it there for the first time, and I felt like, wow, where have I been? <laughs> anyway, so he created this this thing with over a thousand plum trees to, and, and vegetable gardens and so on. And that was how the Plum Plum Village. In French, it's the village of plum trees. 
you know, Plum Village doesn't make as much sense as a village of plum trees. Um, so uh, that that that's the origin of that of that term. And how plum did you get how did you get into that yourself? Have you always been? Did you grow up uh, interested in Buddhism and, and meditation? Uh, no, not really. It was uh, chance encounters, uh, chance readings. Uh, and it's, you know something sounds good, and you follow up on it, and one one trail leads to somebody, and then things like that. That's how I got into it. Uh, a number of you know chance occurrences like that. Yeah, we sometimes call them synchronicities. It seems like a lot of our guests <laughs> have those. <laughs> yes, that's a good way to describe it. Yes. Would you want to talk about your uh, your meditation center in um, Montreal a bit and what, what you do there? Yes. I started by offering open meditation evenings, like uh, drop-in meditation evenings, and uh, it would go on all year, and people would come in and whenever and uh, so on. And at some point, I realized that it is really part of this practice to make a commitment of some kind. Uh, to make a commitment. Like now I offer like sessions where people come because they want to live with less stress or they want to sleep better or with uh, live with less discomfort in the case of cancer patients and so on. These people really know why they're there for, and it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference rather than sort of come because meditation is a cool thing, you know. That's one thing. But when you when you really have a challenge and uh, you're motivated to work for it, because meditation, you have to do the work. You know, nobody else is doing it for you. You're 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 doing it. So. It really helps if you're motivated. And uh, so recently, uh, my groups are focused groups. They're focus groups with uh, specific focuses. Uh-huh. I guess uh, even even if somebody's going to explore it, like I, my, my type of thinking is that maybe you've planted a seed in a lot of people that you know may come back later when they have more of a purpose, you know? Yes, I. Uh, there are for sure there are people like that as well. Uh, I also see people privately for meditation coaching. There are people who come to say, "Well, yeah, I want to explore this." Uh, for sure, uh, that's also legitimate because I mean, let's face it, that's how I got into it. That's probably how you got into it, you know, uh, curiosity and so on. Uh, but. I really feel more at home when somebody has a burning question, a burning issue, something uh, that, you know, that really hurts, you know, or or, uh, some discomfort that they want to get rid of or whatever. Uh, Motivation is very strong. So you've seen, have you you've seen lots of people heal through these things? Oh yeah, I uh, I don't know. In twenty years, I don't know how many thousands of people have gone through uh, here, and uh, 
I've learned from them, perhaps as much as they've learned from me. Uh, when uh, when somebody opens up and uh, tells you what's really in their heart, uh, you know, uh, I don't care how smart you are, how wise you are, but you can't fail to be touched by it, you know? Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about your book here before we uh, we run out of time? Um, it's the Buddha's Book of Meditation, and it's Mindfulness Practices for a Quieter Mind, Self-Awareness, and Healthy Living. And I, I like the way you've laid this out. Do you want to describe to some people out there how your book is laid out and your how it, you have you know different chapters and meditations that go along with music and and uh, you know, how important is a diet, say, to to mindfulness? I, I suppose putting the right foods into your body and things like that sort of go hand in hand. Well, that's I think that's that's in the book as well. Like if you go to a you know Buddhist retreat center, uh, you won't eat fried foods and you won't eat, you won't drink uh, sugary drinks uh, because uh, those foods uh, are not conducive to having a healthy brain. Like when your body is unhealthy, you look in the mirror and you see your pouch and whatever. But when your brain is unhealthy, you look in the mirror and you don't see it. It's, <laughs> you know, it's hidden. So it's, it's, it, it's really important for, for a diet goes to be in touch with how you feel after you eat something. How do you feel a short while after? And, and, uh, yeah, let that be a guide. Yeah, in this book, I uh, there are a number of chapters. I don't know how many, 17, 18, something like that. And each chapter zeroes in on a different aspect of meditation. Like, I mean, the basic practices are very simple. Getting in touch with your breath, uh, not identifying with your thoughts, being in the moment, being present, and so on. Basic practices are simple. Uh, are are relatively simple, but uh, applying them, for example, you mentioned diet, applying them to that, applying it to relationships, applying it to your work life, uh, to family, whatever, that is the real issue. Uh, I mean, so long as your wisdom remains on the shelf, it's not much use to you. And so in this book, each chapter deals with uh, a different aspect of life and how to bring mindfulness into that, into that area. And, uh, yeah. What do you think, Darren? Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Can, can you maybe, for, for our listeners, before we wrap it up, give a quick synopsis of, like, say someone like myself, who's never meditated really. I, I tried to do that object one the other day for a few minutes, but then I got bored. <laughs> single, um, like single-pointed focus or something that would probably be called. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, the one where you just try and imagine the object. Or, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I got distracted a couple of minutes <laughs> in. But what's, uh, like, say, to wake up tomorrow and, and start to be more mindful? What's, what's, what's tomorrow look like for someone who's never done Anything really down this path for well, mushrooms? Do those count? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, my uh, best suggestion to you would be to go 
to my website, which is Mindfulness Meditation Center, one word, Mindfulness Meditation Center, center spelled the Canadian way, T-R-E, <laughs> dot org, dot org. Click on books and then click on Buddha's Book of Meditation, the book you have in your hand. And there you have 12 practice songs and three guided meditations that you can listen to or download to your iPod or whatever. And uh, tomorrow morning, you can listen to one of the practice songs or you can meditate with one of the three guided meditations. They're freely available. They go with a book. Uh, of course, uh, you would get further ahead if you read the chapter about it in the book, but the, the, the practices are good by themselves as well. Uh, I like, I start with guided meditations uh, because it is not always productive to leave someone and to say, okay, sit down and meditate. <laughs> it doesn't always work. So uh, after you go through a number of guided meditation exercises, then when you sit down by yourself, you might remember some of the instructions. And so it puts you on the right track for sure. Yeah, that's good advice. They're like training wheels. Yeah, it is. So, so speaking of that, staying on that vein, what do you, what is your advice to people that just say that, oh, they can't meditate? Like they think that it's all about being able to completely quiet your mind. Cause I, I meet people like this all the time where they they say, Right off the bat, their their thing is they can't do it, and they because they're no good at it. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, at the beginning of the show, I think you said something like that, which was uh, right on. I felt, uh, you know, you you get caught up with thoughts, and you follow your thoughts, and you get lost in them. And uh, when you first begin the practice you might get lost in your thoughts for five minutes before you say, hey, I'm supposed to be meditating and come back to your body and to your breath. Yeah. And you said that after a while, practicing after a while, you do it faster. Instead of after five minutes, you do it maybe after five seconds, and then eventually maybe after one or two seconds. So getting coming back, you know, finding yourself in your thoughts and coming back is part of the practice. Uh, as you say, what is not part of the practice is staying there, following your thoughts and getting lost in your thought. So when some people say they don't meditate well, I just want to tell them that it's okay. It's okay. This is not about perfection. Uh, we all have these huge brains, and uh, and and thoughts are like uh, very alluring, and they they sort of say, "Come, come, come, and follow me." And uh, but the sooner we realize we're we're doing that and come back to our breath and to our body. Uh, the better it is. And this only happens as you practice. And this is part of the practice. So it doesn't mean you're a bad meditator. It just means that you're on your way. Huh. That's good advice. You catch that, Darren? I'm a bad meditator. That's all I took <laughs> away from that. <laughs> uh, that's why they call it the monkey mind and everybody's got one. So it's, yeah, that's good. 
Is there anything else you want to mention before we start wrapping it up? Yeah, the monkey mind, the monkey <laughs> mind, uh, the poor monkeys. Uh, well, you see, this is the first stage when you uh, when you consider the monkey mind as a distraction, as background noise, like the radio in the background as you're trying to do something. Uh, the second stage is paying attention to the monkey mind and trying to figure out which one of the 264 species of monkeys this <laughs> one is, you know? But that only happens after the first stage, when you quiet the monkey a little bit, then you listen. That is becoming intimate with yourself. That is becoming friends with yourself, really knowing yourself, self-knowledge, self-understanding. And that is what is so precious about meditation. Uh, this uh, this American lady, Julia Cameron, who's written a lot of books about creativity and meditation, I love the title of one of her books. It's called Finding Water. It refers to the tree's roots reaching down and finding water, finding what is fresh, what is nourishing. And it's all part of meditation. Hmm. So what's the third stage then? The second stage is kind of choosing and and, yeah. and making friends with the monkey mind. And what would be the third stage then? The third stage is very, very special and very specific to Thich Nhat Hanh's teaching. He calls it transformation. It is uh, what we were talking about a little while ago, changing your default setting. Like you have a computer in front of you you can change your default browser. Uh, we have less control over our minds than over our computers. We can change our default state of mind with mindfulness practice. And uh, this for me is, uh, is, is the heart of the matter, uh, to, to, to fill your heart. You are the gardener. There's a garden in your heart, and you're the gardener. You're the garden as well as the gardener. And you can't blame anyone else for the, whether it's poison ivy that's growing in your heart, or lilies and irises and dahlias and roses. And this is transformation. You change, you change the, the, the drift of your natural, spontaneous thoughts with, with practice. I love it because you're really talking about what the science is starting to prove now with the, uh, the brain and how uh, liquid and how, um, what's the mm. word I'm looking for? Plasticity, like the plasticity of the brain and rewiring your neural and rewiring your pathways and all that's basically what you're talking about. Like that the Buddha has been doing this for thousands of years. Yes. Yes. I, uh, uh, I never quite thought of it in those terms but uh, uh i think you're right on yes yes yeah i love that part where these two you know the old eastern traditions and the new science is coming together especially the neuroscience because the brain is proven to be quite a, a crazy thing and they're starting to learn so much about you know what's what's causing it to fire and how it fires in the way it does and yeah. quantum physics is really rock in the boat too. yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose uh, I suppose that that should about do it. I know it's uh, it's getting late over there on the cold side of the country. <laughs> yeah, it's wow. It's how did it get to be eleven o'clock already here? Yeah. Do you want? I mean, we we don't have to go if you have more you can uh, you want to share with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I I would like to say that. Uh, uh, I, I learn about these things, uh, and and the songs for me are a big part of my personal practice because a song stays in your ear like an earworm. You know how people go out of the movies like whistling the love tune, you know, whatever. And uh, when there is a words attached to that earworm the words also go in your mind. It mimics, a mantra mimics concentration. And concentration is the weakest part of a beginner, uh, the weakest skill they have. And uh, what I love about mindfulness songs and mindfulness mantras is uh, this this ability of the tune to go in your run in your mind and mimic concentration. And they form a big part of this book, uh, Buddha's book of meditation. And uh, they're all available on the website, mindfulnessmeditationcenter.org by clicking on books and then clicking off Buddha's book of meditation. They're available for free download uh, with or without the book uh, Mm. now. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll try one out this weekend. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's fo- so funny. You're like, is meditating like mushrooms? I should like clear my schedule. <laughs> no, I don't think it's quite that. I don't think it's got quite that. I'm not going to get there right away. No, at least, at least it's going to take you some time. <laughs> so, but it's. I like what you said what about the I songs. Just though. Out to be a super meditator. No, I, yeah, don't, no, no, I wouldn't have those expectations. I don't think it's expectations are uh, important in Buddhism. <laughs> So what about the uh, the songs and the memory? I, I love that because I, I go to work and sometimes I'll I'll play a song before I, I go in and it sticks in my head. And even today, a coworker of mine was singing something and I was like, what? what are you doing singing? And I could tell she was trying to remember what somebody told her and she was saying it in a song. Like she was singing it in a singing voice. Oh, really? And it wow. just, it, so it's like what you're, it's like what you're saying. Like you, so instead of just listening like you've got the song to accompany the mantra and the meditation and that kind of uh, ingrains it in your head a little bit more. Yeah. And singing makes you high. I like to think that uh, birds uh, get high uh, not only by flapping their wings, but also by singing. There you go, Darren, try that before your meditation. (laughs) Not much of a songbird. No, uh, you the, the, these uh, these songs would make a wonderful introduction to a meditation session. Let me tell you why. Because your mind is full of everyday concerns, like you got to buy this, you got to do this, you got to do this errand, you got to make sure the host for your show, whatever. You're miles away from meditating. When you sit, the same mundane thoughts are going to run in your mind. Uh, one one client of mine told me about this in a very picturesque way, describing her first meditation session. She said, 
it was the longest uh, uh, to-do list I ever did. I, it took me 20 minutes of m- making lists of what I was going to do for the rest of the day. <laughs> that, that was our meditation session. But, but if you start with listening to those meditation mantras, one a day, one for each meditation session, they will bring you to the edge of meditation. They will bring you to the place. And all you have to do is hop in. You're not, you don't start like a mile away from meditation. You're right there and it'll color your sitting period and make it productive and creative. Hmm. Very nice. That sounds like perfect uh, ending to a lovely chat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's better than ending with quantum physics. I agree. (laughs) I think, what did we do? Quantum physics like a year ago and I'm still, yeah. A little messed up yeah. upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to link to your website and, and, and your books and all that in, in the show notes. Yeah. Are you on the Facebook or the Twitter or anything like that? I'm afraid, no. I have never managed to develop an intimate relationship with those things. <laughs> Entities. Yeah, kind <laughs> of. Viruses. Yeah, kind of. That's okay. I, I don't have either of those either. <laughs> you do, though. I kind of do. <laughs> Just by for the show, really. Yeah, by extension. Yeah. Well, there are degrees of addiction, right? That's right. It's called <laughs> harm reduction. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for staying up late. Well, I, I really enjoyed this. It was like chatting with old friends, and I feel like I've really got to know you, and uh, uh, thanks for inviting me along. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah, if you're ever uh, out west, you're welcome to pop into the igloo. <laughs> you? Okay, okay. Thanks a lot, Joseph. Ciao, good evening, okay. good night. Bye. Welcome back to the Grand America Show. That was our chat with Joseph Emmett. Did yeah, you learn something, Darren? Yeah, I like that one. That was a fun one. You going to start your mindfulness meditation soon? No, I'm incredibly mindful. You can download his music online if you want. I could, can I download it and use it in this episode? You used to say cigarette. Oh, yeah, you probably could. Yeah. Cigarette? Yeah. Smoking, <laughs> smoking a cigarette was your meditation. Do you remember? No, but now that you've quit, now it's just it. meditation. You just substituted it? It's less meditative, though. Is it? Really? I'm just saying. Feels too mechanical, or what? why? I don't know. It tastes delicious, though. Does it?
Like candy. <laughs> it's hard on my lungs, though. Yeah, I know. I, you were saying that before. It makes me calf. Um, yeah, that was a fun one. I enjoyed it. Uh, if you noticed in the intro, there might have been a couple brief references to Daniel Estelin. That's because it was supposed to be an intro for Estelin. Uh, we were trying to <coughs> pop that episode out for him to do him a favor, but he stood us up twice, so. Oh. <laughs> um, so we had to edit in and chop up the intro and try and fix it, and I can only do so much. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Daniel. Thanks to Joseph for coming on the show. And staying up late. And staying up late. Yeah. Which we did, too, but we won't get into that. Another time or another place, you look upset that I mentioned it. I didn't think you were going to call him <laughs> out directly. It's in the outro. I think we're okay. Yeah, hopefully most people have stopped listening by now. Well, at least he stopped listening. <laughs> Anyways, we want to thank Joseph for coming on a lot. And, and uh, if you guys want to help out the show, there's lots of ways to do that. I think we talked about it in the intro, so I'll keep it short and sweet here. But we do have an expense, and we'd like to try and uh, recoup some of that. Yeah, check out the support page. Go to america.ca slash support. And check out how you can support us and keep us ad-free and sponsor-free and... Uh, all that jazz. Yeah, and we got lots of content coming up, lots of shows. It's uh, it's going to be a good a good spring, I think. We've got a lot of people contacting us, and we've got an overwhelming amount of uh, choices here, and lots of stuff we're interested in. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, we have a bonus episode coming out in March, and now we're less than three months till our two year. Uh, Do we have a bonus milestone. episode coming? I thought we just uh, oh, trashed no. our bonus <laughs> episode. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Estelin fucked the bonus episode. Oh, so ignore that in the intro. <laughs> Sorry about that. If you guys are pissed off about the bonus episode, not our fault. There might be another one. You never know. We'll though. see if we can do it, but we had an extra episode that for some reason we don't have an extra episode anymore. Other than that, I think that's about it. Support the show. Sign up for the newsletter. GrandAmerica.ca slash news. Spam Graham. Uh, spam Graham. Graham at GrahamAmerica.com. Uh, sign up your friends for the newsletter. Review the show wherever you can. Review the shit out of it. That's about it. Check out the new website. And uh, we will see you next week. Thank you.